Well, good morning. Who is excited to be in the house today? Come on, make a little bit of noise this morning. Man, welcome. Listen, I am honored and privileged to be able to come to you today and to bring God's word. And if you haven't met me yet, my name is Aaron and I am the campus pastor at our Grayson location. And man, you are here. Yes, <laughs> exciting, exciting time. Man, we are in this Cross Equals Love series, and man, what a powerful series that this has been, exploring the last seven statements of Jesus on the cross. And listen, can we at all of our locations, can we today just honor our lead pastor, Daniel Lucas, and his family for leading us every single Sunday in that word? Thank you, thank you, thank you. It has been incredible getting to learn, and I am honored today to pick up our fifth statement. But I do wanna recognize just one more time that we are not alone, but we are together, not in one locations, but in three locations. And I wanna give a shout out to my Grayson family. Love you, miss you, and not only to Grayson, but to our Ashland family. Man, God is doing some incredible things there. And we are excited today, excited to bring the word here. You see, these seven statements, it has been so cool to be able to see because these seven statements are literally the last words of Jesus, and they should not be overlooked. Each one took incredible energy. Each one even took incredible pain, and each one has a divine purpose. I wanna welcome you today to turn to John chapter 19. If you got your Bibles or if you have your phones, go ahead and pull it up. John chapter 19, we're gonna be looking at verses 28 and 29. It says, after this, Jesus knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we are just grateful and thankful, God, to be in your house today. Lord, to be able to look at this word today, God, and may you just speak to us in a mighty way. May we just see what your word has for us and see what these incredible two words, I thirst, means and how we can apply that to our life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now our goal for today is very, very simple, but man, is it profound that we get to look at this fifth statement and see really what does this tell us about who Jesus is? What does this tell us? Why did John put this two words into scripture? And to begin, I wanna be able to make a note here that Jesus himself humbled himself from the glory of glories in heaven to being brought down in a human being, in a human form who was put to death on the cross. Philippians 2, 7 through 8, we read, instead he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Colossians 2.9 continues, for in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So we see God as the deity, God as the human. And the first thing I believe that these two words, I thirst, wants to tell us that Jesus is thirst, that it affirms that Jesus was truly human. 
He was fully man. He was born just like you and me as a baby. He grew up as a boy, was taken to the temple at the age of 12. He had birthday celebrations. Think about that, singing happy birthday to Jesus and was taught the family trade. The gospel records and lets us know that even Jesus wept. His life was not perfect. His life was not just all put together. He felt sorrow, he felt pain. He even laughed. He had compassion on the crowds and Christ even slept. He slept, he got tired, he got fatigued. He loved and comforted the children as he went. And he even got a little angry at times. Jesus also experienced the psychological pain of mockery and ridicule. And most of all, Jesus as a man felt the pain of this moment on the cross. And I began to ask myself, what would this thirst, what would this thirst have looked like in this moment for Jesus the man on the cross? And so I reached out to a friend who was a medical doctor and she began to just break it down a little bit further with me. She said, Jesus' death was anything but natural causes. There was no sickness in Jesus that led to this death. It was anything but natural causes. And she even went back to the night before where we find Jesus praying fervently to the point of even sweating blood. He was then betrayed by his closest disciples. He was taken to be harassed and accused from trial to trial. He was flogged and beaten in ways that we can never even imagine. He was kept awake through the night. And after his final conviction, he had to walk a significant distance, all the while carrying a heavy cross and then succumbing to his human weaknesses and the cross needing then to be carried by someone else. She continues on, he was nailed to a cross and literally spent the last hours of his life actively suffocating. All of that taken into account creates a picture of significant dehydration. Thinking of it that way, his body was screaming for hydration, oxygen, rest, and relief from the pain that he was feeling in those moments. So whenever he says, I thirst, he meant it. She finishes, through all of that though, he was thinking of me. Wow. See, Jesus felt the depth of the physical suffering on the cross. He took no shortcuts. He didn't take the easy way out. This is the moment where you would think him being both God and man, that he would be able to go through and fulfill the atonement without having to suffer so much. But instead, we see that he did not take an easier route. He took one of the hardest paths. He took the path that was laid in front of him. You see, we realize here that through everything that I have just spoken, that Jesus understands the suffering that we go through. Right now, the pain that you are feeling, the loss that you are feeling, the suffering that you have in these moments, listen, Jesus has experienced these things. And in those things, we should have comfort. On all these things, we should have comfort. Hebrews 4.15 says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize, to feel your pain, to feel what you are feeling right now. 
with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. So when you think that no one understands what you are going through, here's my first encouragement to you today, is that Jesus does. Jesus does. In 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to then comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So when Jesus says, I thirst, his human body form was crying out, crying out for that which his body needed most. But we see, continue on here, I believe that Jesus' thirst, that it also proves that Jesus was the obedient servant. You see, everything that happened on the cross fulfilled the word of God. If you look back at your Bibles at John chapter 19, you will actually see in that chapter alone three prophecies being fulfilled. The first one comes in verse 24 where it says, cast the lots for the robe. We see this in direct connections with Psalm 22:18. 18. The second, in announcing his thirst where we are today, Jesus was drawing on two pieces of scripture. Psalm 69, 21 says, they gave me poison for food and for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. Psalms 22:15 is the second verse that this alludes to. And it says, my strength is dried up like a pot shirt and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. And in the last one, as we will get to here in a few weeks, in verse 36 through 37, it says, these things happened so that scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. So when Jesus said, I thirst, it was another prophecy being fulfilled. And why is this important? Why should this be so important to us? First, God's prophesying, his prophecies give us evidence. Focus on that. These prophecies give us evidence that he is who he says that he is. See, these things weren't just spoken hundreds of years, but almost thousands of years before they came to pass. And we see that there are hundreds of prophecies beyond the three that we have just spoken. From the Old Testament that the life of Christ fulfilled, that he was the son of God, that he was the promised savior. And so we have just a taste of evidence here. And then the second thing why this is important, because then evidence allows us to give a defense. Evidence allows you to give a defense for your faith. And I'm not talking about you being persecuted by other people's opinions or beliefs, even though those are the most relevant. But the greatest attack that you will have will first come from your thoughts. It won't be from others, it will be from within. And so whenever you begin to doubt, when you begin to question, and here is the truth, you will doubt and you will question your faith. You will question if you have not received Jesus, is he even real? Is this even possible? I don't even know if I believe this. I am too, if we wanna sit in the context, I am too enlightened 
to believe in this man called Jesus. But we see that there is evidence in the prophecies to give a defense for our faith so that when thoughts of doubt come into play, when thoughts of question come into play, we don't go based off of our emotions and our feelings, but we go to the word of God for truth. We see that here, it's so, so important. Max Lucado in his book, he chose the nails, and that is so important, he did choose this suffering. He wrote this, why in his final moments was Jesus determined to fulfill prophecy? He knew we would doubt. He knew we would question. And since he did not want our heads to keep his love from our hearts, he used his final moments to offer proof that he was the Messiah. Have you ever questioned God? Have you ever doubted? And when I was studying and preparing for this, my mind immediately went, to seniors and college students. I can't tell you how many times that over the past few years that I have heard the story or heard the testimonies from teenagers that once I got to college, I stepped away from my faith. And then my faith through time then became my own. And I believe this is a little rite of passage that you have because you get out of your mom and dad's house and then you're like, it's no longer mommy and daddy's rules, but it's my rules. There's a little taste of freedom there. In the words, with freedom comes great responsibility, right? And we see that in these moments, that once they were the protection of the home, now you have the freedom to make your own choices. Now I believe that this is a blessing in a lot of ways because you have to step in faith when things get hard, sometimes even on your own. But we hear this thing where people are deconstructing their faith. They're deconstructing their faith. They are beginning to question and they are beginning to doubt. And we are looking at all the wrong sources to be able to affirm our faith. And so for the college students, I wanna speak directly to you here. Just for a minute, I want you to do three things. When you begin to doubt, look to scripture. And then whenever scripture, once you have looked there, then look to others. The stories around you are some of the greatest affirmers of your faith. They let you know that, hey, this Jesus that my mom and dad lives for, maybe there is something to it. And then the last one, ask questions. We should be a church. We should have families that are open to tough questions. We should be open to the difficult things that sometimes we struggle to answer, but not in a way to where we go against the gospel, but just to be able to say, God, show me this. Show me where you are in this. And I believe that he will speak through that. And the third thing that we see here from Jesus is that this gives us the confidence. Look at this, the evidence gives us a defense and our defense gives us the confidence to trust God and obey. Even when it is challenging, even when it doesn't make sense, even when you still have questions that aren't answered, listen, you can trust and obey. Christ, was the perfect example of this. 
He was the obedient servant. He fulfilled the will of God. And that gives us confidence in who he is and that confidence bolsters our ability to follow his example. The examples of trust and obedience even in times of doubt, even when there is suffering, even when there is pain. When we obey the word of God, we follow in the footsteps of Jesus and we fulfill the will of God and glorify him. And lastly, the third point that I wanna bring to light and that Jesus' thirst, it shows how much Jesus loves me. This cry of Jesus, I thirst, while dying on the cross for you and me was literally true of him. But even more so, it is also to be understood that Jesus was thirsting, I believe, spiritually. Thirsting for what exactly? And I believe this is so true. The salvation of his people. He thirsted after the glorifying of God and the, the accomplishment of our redemption. In John chapter four, we are reminded of this very familiar story when he promises the woman at the well this. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. See, just like this woman, we have both felt both physical thirst and spiritual thirst. I thirst from being literal to being a, a, a figurative expression of our life. We all have felt this. And I ask you the question today, what are you thirsting for? What are you thirsting for? What is deep down within your soul that you are crying out for? It is the cultural tug of war within our souls. I wanna share with you just a little piece of what I've been experiencing over the past month in an accountability group that I'm part of with me and a, me and a close friend. We were sharing just various temptations that we have been having lately. And I shared some thoughts that have been going through my mind. See, going back to college just a little bit, I was a part of our adventure programs at Eastern Kentucky University. About 90% of my friends within that group right now are traveling across the country, literally living out of a van, working winter gigs to pay for their summer explorations. That was who I lived with. That was who I was around. And I can remember whenever me and my wife got married that adventure was the thing that we were gonna seek. If you've ever watched Up, you know, adventure is out there. Well, we were the ones that were going, you know, had the little adventure book, everything. That was what we were crying out for. And then like so often, God had different plans. God sent me into teaching. God sent me into coaching. God sent me into youth ministry. And before you know it, there went four years completely committed to those three things, or those, yeah, those three things. And we see that adventure was somewhat missing. That was my belief, that was my thoughts. And so I began to share with my friend, I was like, you know what, man? Here's what's been struggling with. 
I could just stop. I could just quit ministry. I said, man, I can go teach. And you know why I went to teach a man in the first place? It wasn't about the kids, it was about the summers off. Can I get an amen? But I began to find myself thinking, oh man, think of the adventures that me and my kids could go on. We could spend every weekend, you know, doing online church and feeling good about ourselves. And then we can continue on, you know, on the summer, spending three months just traveling and exploring the world. And whoo, that's a venture. And then I began to look a little bit deeper, but below the surface that oftentimes you'll find the things that we are seeking, there's something within us Below the surface, you find that the adventure would be way easier. Going back and teaching, that would be way easier. So there's no leadership pains. There's no struggles with life and ministry. A life free of the burdens of others, not being accountable to a group of people. A life for myself. A life for my family. It's a subtle shift. There's nothing wrong with adventuring. There's nothing wrong with getting in a van and driving across the country. But it's when my soul thirst is to seek after that thing and to chase that thing, something has shifted. And pray God for loving and caring people that are able to speak godly wisdom in your life and allow you to confess things that are, it's like, ah, why is that there? It's a subtle shift. And to many, maybe that would seem like the right direction. But I ask you today, what are you thirsting for? You see, at the root, I believe that so many of us right now, we are thirsting for things that are me-centered. Riches, fame, an easy life, a retired life, a known life, relationships, family, a wife, kids, to be loved. They leave us chasing and seeking. How do I get my thirst satisfied? So many have been where you are, lost. Seeking and searching, trying and trying to be filled up to quench the thirst within you. So I encourage you today to stop looking for a film for fulfillment elsewhere. And here's the word I want to share with you that somebody's spoken into me. Give up, give up false expectations. Once we have accepted that we are fundamentally diseased in the nothing in this life will ever fully complete us. We need then give up our expectations and demands. We must stop expecting that somewhere, sometime, in some place, we will meet just the right person, the right situation, on the right combination of circumstances so that we can be completely happy. We will stop demanding that our spouses, families, friends, and jobs give us what God can give us. Clear cut, pure joy. Not easy, maybe sometimes difficult, sometimes really hard, sometimes really painful. But even in that, joy, 
and peace. Christ's thirst, if you look compared to ours, being me-centered, Christ's thirst, they are God-centered. His life was a servanthood to the will of God. We see the writers of the Old Testament affirm this thirst. Oh God, you are my God and I long for you. My whole being desires you like a dry, worn out and waterless land. My soul is thirsty for you. Psalms 42, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, oh God. When, where can I go? When can I meet with God? Psalm 63, one through two, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where no water is. In this moment, in these words, I thirst. What was God focused on? What was he focused on in this moment? If Jesus is about the will of God, what was the will of God? What was God's thoughts consumed within that moment? Me and you. The others of the world. As my friend reminded us earlier that in all of this, he was thinking of me. No matter the suffering, no matter the pain, Jesus said, I will be obedient to your will. And I began to put myself into, into Jesus' mind and thoughts when he said, I thirst. He began to say, I love you, Aaron. I will give my life freely as a sacrifice for your sin. Aaron, you will thirst no more. In me, you will find living water and eternal, an eternal water, fulfillment, peace, and joy. In Jesus's final moments, he thirsted so that like the woman at the well, who believed and you and me who believe will be satisfied. I will bring you poor, pure joy. See, trusting in Jesus sees our sins forgiven and fellowship with him restored. Trusting Christ means having our spiritual thirst that every single one of us has and every single one of us longs for quenched. Not just for now, but for all eternity. On Calvary, Jesus thirsted to save sinners from the eternal thirst. And what is so beautiful, what is so gracious of God and so merciful of God is that Jesus is still, he is still extending this promise to all those who do not believe today. John 7, 37 through 38, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, I'm gonna say it like that because he's crying out. Listen, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And so I encourage you today. I challenge you today that with these three words of Jesus, we see that Jesus being fully God and fully man died on the cross for you and for me. He was the obedient Messiah. In him, we 
Now, I have evidence. In him, we have a defense. And in him, we have confidence and the ability to trust where he leads in your life. And through him, through his thirst, we may never thirst spiritually again. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? This morning, I hope and pray that you can feel within your soul, within your body, the thirst that this world has been driving you into, that the culture has been pulling you into. And Jesus in all of his grace and all of his mercy, he allows us to be spiritually filled. Not for now, not just for now, but for all eternity. And so I want to encourage you today. I wanna give you the opportunity today to put your faith and trust in Jesus. And if you are one who says, no, I am enlightened. I know already too much. Here's what I wanna do. I wanna challenge you. Give him a shot. Give him a chance. Because you already know like I know that everything else that you have tried, everything else that you have done has already fallen short, has already left you seeking and searching for the next thing, for the next hit, for the next little shot of dopamine. And so today we offer you the chance to receive Jesus and to be filled, to have your sins forgiven, past, present, and future, to have a hope and a peace and a joy that goes beyond all understanding. We believe from Romans 10, nine through 10, that if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. We wanna encourage you today, if you wanna put your faith and trust in Jesus, encourage you today to say a prayer with me this morning. Jesus, forgive me. I am a sinner. I have fallen short. Jesus, I have chased after the things of this world and it has left me empty. Jesus, today I choose to put my faith and trust in you. Jesus, I believe that you came for me, that you died for me, that you got up out of the grave for me. And today, the best I know how, I will choose to follow you. Help me all the days of my life, Jesus, to seek you first above all things. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, listen, there are people here today that wanna celebrate with you, that wanna pray with you. And listen, you have just made one of the greatest decisions of your life. And to the believers in the room, I wanna challenge you today to seek out your heart, to seek out your soul, to realign that thirst with the thirst that was with God, that was Jesus on the cross, to do the will of God. What he has for you in this life is incredible, but it's not for me. It's not for you, but it's for others. It's for others.
Would you pray with me this morning? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for time together, Lord. And we are so thankful, God, that you got on a cross for every single one of us. But Lord, today we know the powers that be are trying to pull us away, pull us aside, God, and just get us into all the other things that this world says we need. Lord, the things of which our souls thirst for that are not of you, God. Lord, I pray that you would remove those out of our hearts today, that we would seek you above all things. In Jesus' name, amen.